Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Okay, let me just start on, on our sermon series. We're starting a new one this summer. Uh, how many people, when they're in elementary school or high school, ever had a teacher surprise them with a pop quiz? Just, just put up your hand if that was. Do they still do that today? Or is that kind of, oh, they still do that today. Okay, yes, they do. And you're sitting beside your mom, the teacher. So that's, that's the problem. Okay, well, uh, my understanding of a pop quiz, and I'm trying to understand what they're for, it's, it's really to uh, see what people really know without preparing for it. And it's also to reveal what they don't know. I never liked them. But I'm going to give you a pop quiz this morning. Okay? So on your screen, there should be uh, a, a login. So if you can show that. And so I want this. It's a live, it's a live quiz. Unfortunately, I couldn't hook up my computer to our screen to be able to um, display the results, but I have it up here. So if you log in... We're going to do a, a live quiz this morning here, and I'll show you the results as best I can, let you know what's happening. So grab your phone. Some of you have already jumped at that to do that. And uh, so here, so it, by the way, there's no information that's left. You just go there, um, and there's nothing more than that, okay? So your information is safe with this quiz, okay? So anybody need more time on that screen? Okay, I'll, let, I'll give you just a second more to do that. Okay, and I only have really two questions for you. And so, Tracy, there's going to be a slide coming up with, with uh, the purple slide, but don't show it yet, okay? Okay, so here we go. Uh, here's the first question, and it should come up as I log in here. So the first question is this. Do you believe the Ten Commandments are still important and relevant today? And if you just want to log in to whether it's yes, no, or uncertain, then it will show me right away. So right now I have 60, 71, 75 people. Boy, that's really good. 80, 82. So I'm going to show you here. You'll get a sense of this. So everyone that's logged in so far has said yes. Okay? No, no naysayers. Okay? So you don't need to listen to this sermon because you all agree on this. Okay, so that's good. Okay, so now, here's, here's my next question for you. And this one is not going to be answered on your phone quite yet. It's going to be answered in your mind. And the question is, name as many of the Ten Commandments as you can. And just do, do it by yourself. This is not a partner activity. Okay, do it by yourself. So name as many of the Ten Commandments as you can. You just told me they were very important to you. So here we go. Um, I'm going to show you the Ten Commandments now. They should be on, on the screen here. And I want you to be honest with me in terms of how many you actually got. Okay? Because then I have a question for you that's on your phone after this. 
Okay, so here on your phone, you should be able to answer this. So how did you do? Uh, did, how many people knew all of them? Most of them, like 7 out of 10, some, a few, none. Okay, I wanted to see here. Now we're getting a little bit of variance on this one, which is good. I'm happy for that. Okay, so just a few more people can log in. I wish I could show you this uh, on the big screen, but I can show you right now. So we have almost 80 people have logged in. And of the 80, five of you said you know all the commands, you could recite them. So good on you. Uh, two said none. Thank you for your honesty. Eight people said a few. And by the way, there was a Jay Leno uh, clip a while back, and I tried to find it on the YouTube. It was, he does a clip called Jaywalking, and he asked people about the Ten Commandments, and only one person uh, had one to offer, and it was, the Lord helps those who help themselves. <laughs> okay, so you were, we're doing pretty good. So most of us said we knew at least some or most of the, of the commandments on this. Okay, so that is fantastic. Now, uh, I think that was the last one I had. Yes, that's it. So thank you for that live quiz. We'll try and figure that out next time. Uh, do you like doing something live like that in, in church? Is that fun? Yeah, now just make sure no, no games now, okay? You're, you're focused on me here. That's always scary to, for a pastor to say, take out your smartphone and go to the website. You know, so no Kijiji deals today as I'm speaking. Okay, so... Uh, we'll just compare our results to something that happened in the States. They did a, 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 a poll in the States. 80% of people said that the Ten Commandments were very important. 14% of the people said they could name all of them. Okay? And, of course, less people said, said they kept all of them. Um, now, obviously, uh, as a church and for me as a pastor, uh, we think the Ten Commandments, which were written, now just consider this, written 3,500 years ago, uh, are not only relevant for today, they're actually still foundational for our lives. And not just for our lives as the people of God, I want to suggest they're actually foundational for every person who is walking on this earth, irregardless of their religious background or if they have that at all. In fact, uh, these, these Ten Commandments uh, have formed the basis of law in most many countries, and the countries that have used these to form the basis of law have usually uh, excelled, flourished, and the countries that haven't have, have diminished. But they transcend uh, age, they transcend culture, they transcend geography, and they transcend gender. And so that's why over the next 10 weeks, the 10 weeks of summer, we're gonna take a closer look at these Ten Commandments, one each Sunday for the next ten Sundays. Now, um, we find the Ten Commandments right in the middle of the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, but to properly understand them, we need to know something about the historical background leading up to this incredible event where God gave Moses and the people of Israel the, these principles for a living life. So let me just take this, uh, a few minutes this morning as we, we launch this series to put this passage in its proper context. Uh, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. Uh, it's part of a group of five books called the Pentateuch, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, all written by Moses. 
And together, they, they, they give us this picture of God's unfolding story. Now, there's some main characters in, this, in that, those books, and some of those were the, were the patriarchs. And so we, the story really begins um, after creation, in Genesis 3, when sin entered the world. And because um, it, was, it was a time that it was at that time that God initiated his plan to redeem and restore all that was lost in the fall of man. Now, God's plan involved a man named uh, Abraham. And through him, God was going to win the world back and teach us how to live. And God had made Abraham a promise that, he would, uh, be, that the world would be blessed through him and that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars of the sky. Now, as part of that promise, uh, God also promised Abraham a land which he would be able to live and the assurance that his descendants would be able to continue to live on that land. Now, for those familiar with the story, you'll know that Abraham and his wife, uh, Sarah, had, had a child named Isaac. And Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had a son named Jacob. And Jacob was also called the, by the name of, does anybody know in the Bible? Israel in the Bible. And that's probably because um, Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons eventually became the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, obviously, uh, there's, there's a lot to everyone's story that I just kind of skimmed over there, but, but these men are considered the patriarchs of the faith. And several times in the Old Testament, the Lord God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because of the covenant that he made with them to be his chosen people. Now, one of Jacob's sons, and Jacob had 12, uh, was Joseph. And in fact, Joseph was, was uh, Jacob's favorite son. And as you can imagine, that didn't sit well with his, with his brothers. And Joseph didn't do himself any favors either because he would share dreams that he had of his, to his brothers, of, of his brothers bowing down to him. And so they really like, resented him for that and even hated him for that. And so one day they had the opportunity to act on that resentment and anger and hate. Uh, Jacob sent Joseph off to find his brothers in the field. And when his brothers saw him coming, it was again, it, was, it wasn't like a you know, five-minute walk. It was a couple-day walk out to the field where he was. When they saw him coming by himself, they decided amongst themselves uh, that they were going to kill him. Now, um, for those familiar with the story, you'll know that, that Joseph was not killed that day. His eldest brother, Reuben, convinced his brothers to throw him into a cistern. And, and he intended to come back later on that night and rescue him. But Reuben's plans unraveled when a caravan of merchants passed by heading to Egypt. And the brothers sold Joseph to them, and then they in turn sold Joseph as a slave in Egypt. But even though uh, Joseph was abandoned by his family and taken far away, God had not abandoned him, and he was near to him. So, in fact, uh, this was all part of God's, uh, God's master plan. And God remained near to Joseph, and he blessed Joseph. And even though he was enslaved, and even at various times imprisoned, God used him to, to rise up and to become this incredibly powerful and prominent political leader in Egypt, which at that time was the most powerful and influential nation in the world. Now, God gave Joseph uh, great wisdom. And uh, very quickly, he rose in rank to become one of Pharaoh's chief governors. Now, at that time, uh, life was good in Egypt. They had uh, multiple years of record-breaking harvest, uh, but, but God revealed to Joseph 
that there's going to be lean years of famine coming, telling him to store up years of plenty to prepare for the years of leanness. And so uh, Joseph, being a high-ranking official, also passed it on to the Pharaoh, and they did just that. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the the uh, famine came, and they were in good shape, but the nations around them were not, including Joseph's father and brothers back home. Now, they had heard that Egypt had plenty. And so in desperation, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt in search of food because they were starving to death. And just as Joseph had dreamed, when his brothers arrived, they didn't recognize him, and they bowed down before this high-ranking official. Now, eventually, the story goes that after, after uh, Joseph tested them to see if they had changed or not, he revealed his true identity, and there was this amazing reunion between Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph uh, completely forgave them, and he invited his father and his brothers to move to Egypt where they could uh, live under his blessing and provision. So that's kind of some of the background story. Now, now I want you to fast forward 440 years. Uh, and there's lots of details in this story that I've skipped over, but 440 years later brings us to the book of Exodus, where we are right now. And Jacob's family, which entered Egypt about 70 strong, over that 440 years is now about a few million people. Few million people. And many pharaohs have come and gone, and the one who is currently in power knew very little about Joseph and how he had saved the people of Egypt from famine. And for him, the Israelites were, were not this blessed people. They were a threat. And they were, they were strong. They were numerous. And so he hated and he despised them. And he made them as slaves. And so the descendants of Jacob were an abused people living in complete and utter misery. And all they knew was, was hundreds of years of slavery. And all they could see in front of them was more abuse at the hands of Pharaoh. They were, they were in absolute bondage with no hope, no prosperity, and no future. So in desperation, they cried out, cried out to a God they hardly knew, and they begged him to come and rescue them and deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh. And God uh, heard their cry, and he had mercy on them. And so he sent a deliverer named Moses to redeem his people and to set them free from the bondage they were under. And by the way, um, this re redeeming of, from Moses is really a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And there's lots of foreshadowing in, in some of these stories of Jesus Christ because the whole Bible points us to Jesus. Now, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, and Joseph, uh, God chose Moses and, and used him to accomplish his purpose in, in spite of the fact that Moses had his shortcomings. If you know the life of Moses at all, you know that when he was younger, he lost his temper and he murdered someone. Uh, he claimed he had a speech impediment. He was timid, he was reluctant, and he was scared to lead. But God chose him and showed him once again, and us once again, that he delights in doing extraordinary things through ordinary people. And hope that's an encouragement to us today. Now, um, in a miraculous encounter with God at Mount Horeb, where there was a burning bush, uh, Mount Horeb was the mountain of God, God spoke these words to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and I think that I have them on the PowerPoint. He said, uh, The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh 
and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. So now just hold that thought because our text this morning comes back to this mountain again where they worship God. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what's his name? What should I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. And so Moses did as God commanded. He first met with the elders of the Israelites and told them everything the Lord had said. And then he went on to the Pharaoh and, and said, uh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may worship me and hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Now, the, pr the problem was uh, is that no one told the Pharaoh what to do, right? Because he was, he was Pharaoh. In fact, he viewed himself as God, a very powerful God. And so, predictably, he refused, saying, Who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Well, unfortunately for Pharaoh, he was about to find out who the Lord was. God was going to introduce himself to him. And through Mo Moses, uh, by word and by deed, the God of Israel was about to let Pharaoh know that there is a real God, and it wasn't Pharaoh. And the real God was not happy with the way that uh, Pharaoh was treating his children. And through Moses, God said, um, I want you to set them free so they can worship me. And if you refuse, I'm going to prove that I am uh, I am the real God through a series of, of ten supernatural occurrences, which is going to bring you great pain and pain for your people. Now, in the scriptures, it, it says something that I, I, I know it disturbs some people. It says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. That's not disturbing. But the next part it says, and then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I've heard people say, well, how is that fair? Like, how is that fair that, that God could harden someone's heart and then punish him for it. Um, there, there is a, a saying uh, that, that says this. Um, I think it was a Puritan saying. It said, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. Right? So, so that's what happens. It, it, even though God hardened his heart, that's what happens when, when the true God is, is in front of people's face. They either melt or they get hardened. Now, for some, that means that when God's Spirit convicts you, and, and your sinful ways, your heart melts, and you soften, and you fall on your knees, and you say something like, like God, you're right, I'm wrong, um, thank you for pointing out this truth to me, and then you, you turn and repent and go back to him. Your heart melts when you see what God, the true God. For others, when, they're, when uh, their hearts harden, when something like that happens, they say things like, no, I won't change, I don't agree, I will not relent. I will not repent. And instead, um, uh, I will edit God's word to fit my life, or I'll ignore it, or I'll choose another God, or I'll be my own God. But one thing is for certain, I'm not going to submit to the God of Israel. 
And some people do that today as well. Now, for the Pharaoh and the, his nation, the plagues that God brought on him were increasingly more costly, uh, climaxing with the tenth plague, which is the death of the firstborn. Now, just a quick comment here. By the way, how many people are firstborn sons here in the room? Okay, you're dead. Uh, th that's awful. How many people have firstborn sons? Your son's dead, right? Like, it was, it was a tragic... I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of this. It was, it, was a, it was a tragic event in every sense. And the firstborn sons in that culture were, were the hope of the family. They were the legacy. They were the future. They were the ones that would look after you in, in old age. My son Matt is listening. Just take note of that, okay? And so it, it, was, it was a devastating and dark night for many. And there was just wailing across the land. And the Bible says that on that night, death came to the firstborn male child in every household, and they died. Now, as hard as that is to fathom, it's really a graphic image of the high cost of sinful, rebellious ways and hardened hearts. Do you remember the verse in Romans chapter 6? For the wages of sin is death. Okay, so this is a picture of something that's spiritual that's happening there. Um, now, there was one exception to this massive death of firstborns that was going across the land. Those who, in faith, participated in something called the Passover were spared. And God provided a way and, and a provision for his wrath to pass over those who believed Jehovah was God. And the angel of death passed over any and every family who sacrificed an unblemished lamb and then painted the exterior doorpost of the home to show that they belonged to, to the Lord. And, and in a sense, their sins were transferred to that lamb and they were passed over, which again is what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? So the, the connection the Passover is very, very strong. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did for us, except we didn't have to paint our doorposts. He just shed his blood willingly for us. And um, uh, at this, as God predicted at the very beginning and promised Moses, Pharaoh now finally let the people go with his blessing. In fact, people were throwing gold and money at them, saying, just, just leave, just get out of here, because they had an encounter with the true living God. And when they were finally free from the Pharaoh, um, they, they went into the desert, uh, and they were freed from the bondage of slavery. But the problem was, even though they were uh, set free, they still weren't living free. And they continued to live uh, out the lives that they had learned in Egypt. They continued to lie and steal from each other, they committed adultery. They coveted what others had. They did not raise their children in the ways of the Lord. They worshiped false gods in addition to their real God that they're getting to know. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 20 and the Ten Commandments. And the reason I tell you those things and took the time to do that is because if we were just to jump right into Exodus 20, and start reading the Ten Commandments, it would read like a list of do's and don'ts. And, uh, you know, if you, if you uh, don't do this, I'll punish you. 
If you do this, I'll bless you. And we miss the whole point of the, the commandments. You know, we need to know that, that Israel's story is wrapped in God's grace and God's mercy. And so as I read the Ten Commandments now, just, just keep that picture that this is a, a long story. And God is now taking the people who he loves and he's telling them how to live so that they can flourish in their life. Now this morning I'm going to read the whole um, Ten Commandments. And then whether the other pastors do as they preach, that's up to them. So Exodus 20, verses 1 to 21. And this is what it says. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of my fathers and the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is with it in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is within them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid, and they trembled. And they stood far off, and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us, lest we die. And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that, you fear, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people stood off far while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. It's an amazing story, isn't it? Um, and, and the first thing I, I want you to notice from this story, way back in verse 1, is, is who is speaking here? Like it, it says, uh, the Lord, uh, the Lord is, is speaking. Uh, God spoke all these words. And uh, this, by the way, is... is uh, I think the only time that God gathered, assembled the people, and spoke to the group of people. It's the only time in Scripture. And, and notice uh, all the things that were happening around them. Like, this is not one of those times where, where the people think, you know, might have been God. I'm, was it God? Do you think so? Th this is a time that it was undeniable, okay? So all the senses were engaged. They heard the voice of, of the Lord saying these commandments. 
There was thunder. There was flashes of lightning. There's the sound of a trumpet. The mountain was smoking. They could smell it. You know, they were, they were physically afraid, and they were backing off because they, they knew that this was not a natural occurrence, that something supernatural was happening, that the living God was coming down and speaking his words to them. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Now in this passage, in, even in that verse, there are, are three really critical pieces for the people of Israel. Uh, first of all is that he is the Lord, meaning he is the one true God. I'm the Lord. And the word Lord, when it's capitalized in the scripture, means, means uh, like Jehovah, Yahweh. It's, it's, it's the one true God. The second thing says, uh, I am your God, meaning um, that, that it, was, it was a personal God. It was full of relationship, that he was their God. And then he reminds them about what just happened. I'm the one who rescued you out of Egypt. So he's the one who rescues and saves and sets us free. You see, when God uh, gathered his children at the base of the Mount Sinai, and comes down to, to talk with them and give them his laws, uh, it's not saying, he's not saying to them, if you do these things, I'll accept you. If you do these, complete these laws, I'll adopt you. He's saying, I've adopted you and, you, and, and I need you to do these things because I love you and they're good for you and they're good for others as well. And part of the struggle with the law is, is, is that if we disconnect the, the lawgiver, and, and we misunderstand the heart of the law. That's why the Pharisees, many years later, loved the law but did not the Lord, because they focused on the law more than the lawgiver. Now, now in the Old Testament, the, in, the, in the Hebrew, the law was called the Torah. And it was, it was actually, it's a, it's a more complicated word than, than just one word, uh, and, it, and we translated the law. But it's, it's a law that's based on loving relationship. And so just, you know, think of, think of yourself as a parent or even as a kid. Uh, when, you're, when your parents are setting the rules for you or when you're setting the rules for your kids, you don't just come up to them and just, you know, drop them a piece of paper with, you know, the you know, 10 rules that they have to live by or else, right? You usually sit down with them and, and you begin to talk to them and, and there's a relationship. It's like, this is important and we're doing this and we say this because we love you and we don't want you to get hurt. And so we remind those things and we say that if we do these things, you're going to flourish in life, but if you, you veer off that path, then there's going to be pain for you, and the pain that maybe even mom and dad can't stop in your life. And when we, when we miss the heart of the Father, including the heart of the Father in these Ten Commandments, then we begin to question things about God. Like we think, is God really good? Um, does, he, does he really love me? Does he care for me? Is he interested in me? Is he just? You know, those are the things that we think about. Now, let me, let me just illustrate this um, with, with a, a quick story, and I'll, I'll do this a couple of ways. So last night, um, Brenda and I, we were able to, to have our grandkids over, overnight. And we live in a, in a two-story house, and so there's, I don't know how many stairs up to the second, but there are lots, and they're hardwood. And so, uh, you know, I don't want the kids out wandering at night, so we put up a gate and we lock it. Now, is that being mean to them? Is that being restrictive? Are we trying to hold them back? 
you know, we a bad grandpa and grandma? N not at all. Like, we're, we're doing this as an act of love because we, we care for them. You know, think of, of you if you have kids and you have a backyard. Like, you know, you, you put a fence around the yard not to hold them back or repress them. It's to protect them, to give them a space that they could walk around in and enjoy things because they, they feel safe back there. And someone described the, the laws, the Ten Commandments, as these, as these uh, uh, fence boards that provide protection for us as, as God's people so that our lives can, can flourish. And that's what's happening here. And so th that brings me now, with four minutes left, to the command I want to talk about. <laughs> okay, so just set your clocks back a couple minutes if you're really concerned about the time. I'll, I'll, be I'll try and be quick here, but um, the, the command, the first command says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, the order of the commands is actually significant, especially the first four. And uh, God wanted to impress upon his children, uh, you know, that, that there is only one God and it's him. And the first four commands speak about uh, our relationship to God. And we're going to do all of those in order. The next six commands are about our relationship with each other. And, and we're going to take some liberty and not do those in order, mainly because some of the speakers we had this summer chose a command that wasn't, didn't fit their date. And so we thought, we, we can get around this, okay? So if, if you're concerned about that, miss that Sunday, and then just play that ser sermon back online when you, when you need to. Okay, so, so that's just happening. So um, have no other gods before me means that, that God is going to be the center of your life. He's going to be the top priority in your life. And um, how, do you, how do you know whether that's true or not? Okay, now, now, truthfully, he's not always the top priority of our lives, even though we want him to be, right? God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And when you're praying, one of your first prayers should be, God, I confess that I don't love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But that's what we strive towards. But even having said that, let me give you some questions that will help you kind of think through, well, is, is God really the, the center of my life? So, for example, if I were to ask you the question, who or what do you live for, what would you say? You see, Paul said, for me to live is Christ. But for some of us, we would say, for me to live is my spouse, or my family, or my job, or my beauty, or sex, or pleasure, or leisure, or sport, or peace. You know, those things are not bad in themselves, but if they come before God all the time, then you have a God that's before the one true God, who's a jealous God. Here's another question. Who or what can you not live without? You know, if you think, I have to have it, or I have to have them, or, or if you take that from me, I'm going to die. Like, that's an indication of what's important to you, right? So if someone said to you, you know, you have to give up hockey uh, to follow God, and you're going, anything but hockey, okay? I'll even give up doing dishes. But just, just not hockey. Um, but that, that's an indicator of what our value is. Or who or what do you run to in times of need? You know, when it's been a horrible day, do you 
uh, just want to get home to your comfy chair? Do you want to, uh, like, pour a drink? Do you want to turn on the TV? Do you want to just, you know, I don't know, whatever that is for you. Like, where do you turn to when life gets tough? That's an indicator of who your God is. What causes your highest joy and your lowest grief? You know, our, our emotions betray us. And, and, and that will help us determine whether, whether, you know, the Lord is really our God in a functional way or whether he's just a theoretical God for us. Who or what is the center of your life? Like, open up your schedule book and, and, look, and see, look at your last week and say, what has my life been orbiting around? And, that, and what has my budget been orbiting around? And that will help you determine what, uh, uh, whether God is really the true God of your life. So those are some things that are happening there. I'm just going to jump over just a couple pages. You'll be thankful for that. Um, so there's a man named Ray Ortland, um, who's a pastor and author in the States. And he teaches that uh, the commandments do four things. And I pass this article on to each of the speakers this summer. And I ask them to to uh, use this in some form, hopefully, in their sermon, so there's some consistency from sermon to sermon. And this is what he says, is that each command reveals God to us. Uh, it confronts our sinfulness, so it reveals who we are. It instructs our obedience, and it promises us eternal hope. And so let me, as I wrap up here, just quickly go through some of these things. So. Uh, this command, have no other gods before me, reveals God to us. What does it reveal to us? Well, it reveals that, the, that God is holy and that he should be feared. And in the context of the passage we looked at, we saw that, that the people knew that they were in the presence of a holy God. And they intuitively knew that, that sinful man could not live in the presence of a holy God. Um, we learn from this command that God is worthy of all our worship and praise. That the God of Israel has no equal, that there's no other God, nor anything that else that exists that is worthy of our praise and adoration. And that when we try and praise something else other than God and give that preeminence, that we have a jealous God who does not want to share his spotlight because he deserves the glory. We, we learn that God is sufficient for us, that we don't need to actually appease other gods to ensure our well-being. Like in the past, people, if they, didn't, if they couldn't have a baby, they'd pray to the fertility god. Or if they didn't have money, they'd, or they'd, you know, they'd pray to all these different gods. Now for you and I, there's one true God who we take all our needs to because we know he listens to us and hears us and he can respond to it. And we learn that, that God is totally trustworthy. That he is, there's no one is wiser, that no one's more powerful, that no one's more capable than him. And that's why he said, uh, you know, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And you can saying, you can trust me. You can trust me with your life. Two, he confronts our sinfulness. This first command confronts our tendency to look at created things to give us what only God can give. You know, sometimes we look around and we go, you know, where can I, where can I get my peace from? Well, from going to the lake for summer, starting next week, from my um, finances, from my pleasure. You know, those are the things we, we look at, 
And we need to recognize that, that our tendency, and this is all of us, our tendency is to look at the things that we can see and touch and feel to, to find our, our, our sufficiency rather than going to God. And that's sinful. It says in Romans 1, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their heart, to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, when we make uh, good things into God things, and when we uh, look to those good things to give us what only God can give us, then that is a problem. And then, second, it's our natural bent towards syncretism. And some of you might not know what that word means, so let me just quickly explain it. Uh, syncretism is really the merging of different religious thoughts and cultural values and other schools of thoughts into one thing. So rather than we just believe what God says, we say, I'll believe what God says and my gut says, or what Google says, or what my friends say, or what the government says, right? So, so it's always, it's God and something else. And, and all of us are sh struggle with merging these thoughts. So we all kind of have this syncretistic faith in our lives. That's just our reality. But what God wants is that, is that our truth is found in Him exclusively, which means that when God speaks to us, we listen because His words are truth. Especially when we understand that He has our he has our best interests in mind. And so we understand that God, uh, God's word benefits us. Uh, three, instruction, instructs our obedience. The, the first commandment says that we need to stand in awe of God above anything else in this world. And, and by the way, worship songs today were fantastic you know, in terms of, of that. It means that we can trust God above anything else in this world. It means that we can call on him above all things. It means that we can be thankful for all He is and all He's done for us. He is fully worthy of our praise. And then fourth, it's promises for eternal hope. And that means different things to different people. Uh, you know, um, even this, this, this past week, I'm not sure if some of you heard, but I lost my mom two days ago. And, and for our family, that's a very sad time. But our, our hope, our eternal hope, is that she is with her Savior in heaven, and that gives us great peace so we don't fall apart, because otherwise, humanly speaking, we lost someone we love. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter amen to God for His glory. So that's what it says. Now, let me just conclude with this. Um, this commandment is critical for us. It's foundational for our faith. It's essential for our life. And the truth is, is that uh, our behavior, how we act, is, is really the result of whom or what we worship. Our gods influence our priorities, they influence our values, they influence our morality, our choices, and ultimately our eternity. And so, um, you know, our, our actions reflect our values. And our values reflect our worldview. And our worldview reflects, reflects our view of God. And so if you have the wrong view of God, in other words, He's not the Lord of your life, then you have the wrong worldview, then you have the wrong values, 
and ultimately you're going to have the wrong actions in life and it's going to lead to destruction. So that's why, as the people of God, the first command is, have no other gods before me. Because God knows that he is the only true God and that life is found in him. I was just thinking about this, like, um, you know, what would happen if, if someone was like my mom and, and she got to the end of her life and, and she realized that everything that she centered her life around was empty? Um, you know, if you found out that at the end of your life, the foundation by which you built your entire life on was faulty. You know what that would amount to? It would amount to a wasted life. So the, the first commandment in Scripture is of utmost importance, and that is, have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your greatness. And God, you know us. You know that we, in our hearts, even, even the best of us who want to know you and serve you and love you, we still fail. We still put other things before you. But God, by your grace and mercy, would you continue to be patient with us and would you help us to love you more that we might follow you and actually love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And so today, may you be the Lord of our life. May there be no other gods before you. May this week you be the Lord of our life and no other gods before you. May this year be a time where we put you first and no other gods before me. And if there are those that are struggling with this, I pray that you would help them uh, as your word shines on them, that you would melt their heart and not harden it. That they would return to you and, and just say, you're my God, because in you is our foundation and our hope. And so we commit ourselves to you in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.